You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. This week, we are continuing our study on the life of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. Grab your Bible and get ready to dive into God's Word together. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Great to worship together, isn't it? Come on. Awesome. Well, we had a, we had a big moment in our nation uh, this weekend, and I just wanted to take a moment to... All right. <laughs> I want to take a moment to pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we come to you today um, with, with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts for the decision that took place this weekend at the Supreme Court with the overturning of, of Roe versus Wade. Lord, each child is, is formed by you in the womb and, and has been made in your image and so has great intrinsic value. And so, Lord, we thank you for the protection that you have granted to the preborn children that will come from this decision. And Lord, we also, in this moment, we pray for peace for our nation that has been and remains so divided on this issue. Would we treat others who think differently uh, than us with love and grace and with charity? And not just peace in our nation, Lord, but peace in the hearts of the women who are now so fearful in our country of what is to come, thinking that abortion was their only way. Lord, would you be the comfort of their hearts even now, God? And would you cause us as your church in this moment to rise up, understanding that this is not the end, but the beginning, that there is much work to do on this issue in our very state, and there is even more work to be done with caring for the children who are born and caring for uh, moms and, and dads trying to raise those children. Would you bring us to passionate action, to open our homes and our empty rooms, to open up our schedules to get involved in their lives, to open up our finances and to support those who are struggling to open our hearts for adoption just as you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that this would not be um, a hollow victory, but one met with meaningful change in action by us and also your church around our nation. And we pray these things in the strongest name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen, amen. Lots to celebrate this weekend, church, and, uh, but more than that, lots of action to be taken by us as a church. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to start off our time uh, by telling you the story of mine and Kelly's second date. <laughs> if you know our story at all, you know uh, she rejected me quite a few times. Um, <laughs> a lot. We won't talk about it. But then she finally said yes, and uh, we went on our first date, and I wanted to impress her. So, of course, I took her to the Cheesecake Factory, because that's where you take people you want to impress, right? And so we went, and I was so nervous. I was, like, sweating. Do you remember that? Yeah, I was sweating all over the place. I'm bumbling over all my... It's a big deal, you know? And I felt like I blew it, but miraculously, she agreed to a second date. And so I'm like, well, now I have to, like, step it up, you know? I got to go beyond the Cheesecake Factory. And so... I made this plan. I, I, my plan was to, to pick her up from her house. Uh, she lived with her parents in Schaumburg, and then I was going to take her to Maggiano's at the streets of Woodfield, right? We don't have those types of things in Wisconsin, all right? And so I'm like, that sounds amazing. And then after that, we'll go and we'll get some dessert, and it'll be such a perfect night. And so I pick her up. We go to Maggiano's, 
And we get up to the hostess, and I'm like, a table for two, please. And she's like, oh, well, you know, it's Friday. It's really busy. Uh, That'll be about an hour and a half wait. And I'm like, "Mm, I should have made a reservation. Mm. Um, Again, uh, we don't have to do that in Wisconsin. I don't know. Like, I didn't know. I'm so apologetic. I'm like, Kelly, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that I didn't make a reservation on a Friday night. I'm so stupid. Uh, well, maybe we could just go down, you know, on the other side of the streets of Woodfield and go to like Big Bowl or Tokyo Pub. And so we go over there, same thing, right? Same thing, hour plus wait. And my plans, my perfectly crafted plans just fell apart, gone. And I was so like embarrassed and I'm like, I'm so sorry, Kelly. We get back into the car. She puts her hand on my forearm and she's, she says, um, Tommy, we can just go to Chipotle, <laughs> And so we did, and uh, it worked, okay? It was okay. Everything worked out all right, okay? And, uh, but isn't that the worst? When a plan just absolutely falls apart. Like if you're type A, you're like, yeah, no, that's actually my worst nightmare. That's like nails on a, char- on a chalkboard. Like a plan falling apart, that sounds awful. And, and we're gonna see something Similar, in the text today, we're gonna, uh, the title of, of our time together is When It Feels Like the Plan Fell Apart. When It Feels Like the Plan Fell Apart. We're gonna be in 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. And we've been going through our series on Elijah. And if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that, that there was a plan in place. God, God had a plan for what was going on and he was sharing it with Elijah. First, Elijah went to, to King Ahab, who was a, a terrible king, and he went to him and said, there's going to be a drought in the land. There's not going to be any rain that falls. And then God says, depart from there and go to the brook at Cherith. And so he does. He listens. He goes to the brook at Cherith, and, and he stays there, and God takes care of him, just like he said he would. There was water to drink at the brook, and the ravens brought him food and sustained him. And then because of the drought, the, the brook dried up and, and, and God told Elijah, go to Sidon and, and find this, this widow and she's gonna take care of you. I've commanded her to do so. And so he does, he departs and he gets there and he sees the widow outside of, of the gate and she's collecting sticks and he asks her for some water and she gives him, she, or she goes to get him water. And then he asks to, to also have a morsel of bread and then she tells him, well, you know, that's actually why I'm out here gathering sticks is because we don't have really any supplies left. We have one more meal and I'm gathering these sticks to go home, to prepare that meal, to eat it with my son and then die. So they were facing some severe supply issues. They were on the verge of starvation. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again and, and it tells him to say to the woman that the, that the flour in the, in the jar won't run out that the, the oil in the jar won't run out. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Everything was going according to plan. All of the things that God said were going to happen happened just as God said that they were going to happen. And then we get to our scripture for today. Verse 17 says, After this, the son of the woman, the widow, the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. That phrase, no breath left in him, uh, means that he died. In the ancient day, the, 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 the symbol of, of being dead was that there was no more breath coming out of your mouth. And so this isn't just a bad sickness. This isn't hyperbole. This is death. The, the boy of the widow dies. Now, wait a minute. 
hold on. God didn't say anything about this, did he? God didn't mention this during the, the, the plan. What's happening? It seems like the, the plan is, is falling apart. How, how, could this, how could this be part of the plan? How? That, that God would save this widow and her son from starvation just for him to die of an illness just days later? How could this happen? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to the widow either. And she says in verse 18 to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? That's sarcasm there. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Here's what we see. When when it feels like the plan fell apart, we try to, to search for the explanation. There's a search for an explanation. If we see the widow doing that right here, she's trying to explain what happened. She's finding an explanation and she's accusing Elijah. You know, I know what happened. It was you, Elijah. It must be you. You brought this upon my family. You killed my son. How could this happen? Why has this happened? Is it because of my sin? Is this punishment? What did I do wrong? I thought that I, I was doing what God asked me to do and now this and you can even hear it in her accusation of Elijah she's kind of asking is is God even good Elijah are you really good and we, we all do this don't we we all do this when the plan seems to fall apart in our lives we search for an explanation we try to God why did you take them did I, did I mess up? Is this, is this punishment? Could I have done something different? Why is this happening? Are you really good, God? Because this doesn't feel good. Searching for the explanation. And it's not just in extreme cases like death. This happens whenever we feel like the plan is falling apart, right? I, I planned my life to be a certain way. How did it end up like this? Where did I go wrong? I, I so meticulously planned our finances to be in a better spot. How did it get to the place that it is? What, what happened? I thought our marriage was gonna be amazing. How did it get to the place where it is right now? I thought I did a great job as, as a parent. How are my kids not w- walking with the Lord right now? What happened? Why is our family struggling with this illness of cancer? How could this have happened? We try to make sense of something that seems to make no sense. Because we think if we just, if we can just get the explanation, it'll somehow make it better, right? Somehow make it better. We, we do this um, more often than we think. Uh, we do this with like our, let's say the doctor all the time, right? If we're not, if we're not feeling well, I've noticed that um, in my aging body, uh, things are falling apart, right? And so you go to the doctor, hey, some things are falling apart in my body. Can you explain to me what's going on? And the doctor does, right? They give you a diagnosis. Well, uh, you see, you have a fever. And you're like, ah, that makes sense. I have a fever. That explains everything. 
That's why I'm super hot, like I'm, I'm sweating and like I, I, I understand that now. There's an explanation. And I also know the solution to a fever because the only prescription for a fever is more cowbell. I mean, Tylenol. <laughs> Tylenol, right? And that's what we think. We think that if we could just get the explanation, if we, can get, if we could just have it, then maybe the solution is just right around the corner. Maybe there's a way to salvage this. Maybe there's a way to fix this. And so we search for the explanation. And it's not just the, the widow who's doing this. Elijah does this as well. But there's like a little bit of a difference. Let's look at verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? You see that? He's searching for an explanation. God, why have you done this? Are you repaying good with evil? This woman who has obeyed your command and has shown me hospitality, are you repaying that good with an evil of of killing her son? Why have you brought calamity upon the widow? He's searching. But here's the difference. He he doesn't just stop with searching for an explanation. He, He presses on and goes further and he petitions God. Look at verse 21. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. That's a prayer. That's a petition. It's a prayer right here that that Elijah is praying. He doesn't just stay in in the realm of, of human rationality and understanding. He moves his search toward divine understanding and then petitions God to intervene, right? And here's the thing about all of it. We're gonna see that there's a favorable result here. But here's the thing. Even in light of that favorable result, the widow nor Elijah ever get an explanation. God never tells them why this happened. There's no explanation. And that's gonna be true of us so many times in our life as we walk through trials and hardships. There's not gonna be an explanation. We're not gonna know why something has happened just like Elijah here. But look, it didn't stop him from praying. It didn't keep him from praying and it shouldn't keep us from praying either. I think we can pull some principles uh, out of this. Two clear things that I see in this passage is first, act in prayer towards those around you. Do you see Elijah's first movement when the widow comes to him? The widow comes to him accusing him first. Oh man of God, why have you done this to me? In that moment, Elijah could have probably gotten defensive, right? Offered her an explanation. I I didn't do this to you. What do you mean, right? Could have done a lot of things in that moment. He could have also corrected her bad theology, right? Like maybe like a seminary student. Um, actually, (laughs) uh, God wouldn't do that, right? Like he doesn't do any of that. His first move in this moment of tragedy with this widow is prayer. He acts in prayer. Immediately. And it isn't just T's and P's, right? Thoughts and prayers on Facebook. He actually does it. He prays right there. That's a great example for us to follow when we see people who are struggling around us. 
is to not try and offer them some explanation of why something is happening, not trying to defend ourselves if there's an accusation against us, not trying to correct a bad theology in that moment, but our first move should be to pray for them, to ask God to intervene in their situation. Second thing is don't let the lack of explanation keep you from prayer. We always want the full information, don't we? I wanna know all of the facts, I wanna know all of the things, and that way, when I pray, I can pray correctly or I can pray all of the right things, but that's just not going to happen in our life sometimes. We won't have all of the answers. In fact, in prayer, we actually, the great thing is we don't have to have any of the answers. We don't need any of it. We can just call out to God and ask him for help. God, please intervene in my situation, please Don't let the lack of an explanation keep you from prayer. Look at this, verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Maybe you've ever asked yourself this question. Does God really hear prayers? Uh, Yes, as evidenced right here in the scripture, right? And he doesn't just hear it though, he answers. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Here's the second thing that we see is watch God do the unprecedented. Watch God do the unprecedented. This boy is brought back to life. This boy being raised from the dead is is no small thing. I think sometimes we can kind of pass through these scriptures, right? We've got a really big scripture coming up, like Yahweh versus Baal, like, whoa, yeah, I'm gonna get there. And so we we kind of go through these passages and we're like, oh, that's that's really nice. Um, Great, God is good, right? And then we move past it. Or we we become really uh, familiar with concepts in the Bible. And um, the more familiar with the concepts we become, sometimes what can happen is that we can become contempt of those concepts, meaning that we view them as less significant. The more familiar we are with something, um, the, the less significant it can become in our minds. And so I think sometimes, when, especially when we read things like people being raised from the dead, there are 10 stories in the Bible of, of resurrection, which isn't a lot, but... We celebrate one every single year, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is actually a core doctrine of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are very familiar with the concept of resurrection, aren't we? And so sometimes we can move past these scriptures really fast. But can I just tell you, we, we, first off, we shouldn't do that. We should sit on these scriptures because when I did this this week, It absolutely wrecked me. We shouldn't become so familiar that it leads us into contempt. It's kind of like um, when when I lived in Wisconsin, we had a we had it was our house, and then right across the street was a was a small airport. And at first, when we moved into the house, uh, they they would take off and land over our house, like literally over our house. It seemed like 10 feet. It was probably a little bit more, but they were like real close to our house and they were really loud. And so when we first moved there, we heard them all the time. And quite honestly, I was, I was little and so I was quite scared. I thought they were gonna crash into our house like all the time, like, oh my goodness, when is it gonna, you know, when is the plane just gonna be coming right through our home? 
and I, and I would notice it every single time, sometimes late at night, a lot on the weekends, you would notice the planes every single time they took off, every single time that they landed. But over the years, as we became more familiar with living in that spot, we hardly even noticed the planes anymore. The sound just kind of disappeared. People would come over, they're like, what was that? And they'd look outside and there was a plane, they're like, oh my goodness. And we're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, they do that. We didn't even notice anymore. It had become so familiar that it it became less significant in our lives, just to the point of normalcy. We can't get that way with scriptures like this. We can't. Because it is so incredible. Like I said, it wrecked me this week as I was studying it. And I, I want to share with you why, because... This is remarkable for for two really uh, amazing reasons. The first is that uh, this is the first occurrence of resurrection in the Bible. This is the first time that someone has been raised from the dead. I want you to think about that for a second. First time ever, okay? First time ever. It's never happened before. This is unprecedented. And Elijah, (laughs) full of faith, asks God to do something that has never happened before. Think about that. He asked God in this moment to do something that has never taken place before. Never happened, unprecedented, seemingly impossible, but Elijah has the faith to ask. How awesome is that? Do you know what's even more remarkable than that? Is that God does it. Elijah asks for the impossible and God answers the impossible. He does something that has never happened before. Think about that. It kind of really puts into context Ephesians 3.20, doesn't it? Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than we could ever ask or think or imagine in some translations through the power that is at work within us. He's able to do the impossible. The second remarkable thing is that in this moment, for the first time ever, God shows that he has power over the most powerful thing in human existence, death. Humanity has been fighting death forever, battling hard, but no one has ever been able to defeat death except God. This is our God. This is our all-powerful God. And as I was reading this this week, this is why it wrecked me. Why don't I pray like that? Why don't we pray like this? For impossible, unprecedented things. And I think it's, it's because we, we tend to put God into a box. We put God into a, a God-sized box and we give him barriers and we say, God, these are the things that you can do, these are the things that you can't do, or these are the things that you will do, and these are the things that you won't do, and we put God in a box. God, you can't salvage this relationship. It, it's, it's too far gone. There's too much hurt that's taken place. You can't. God, you can't heal this sickness. It's progressed too far. God, you uh, can't right the wrongs of this world. It's too broken. It's too sinful. 
People are too evil. God, you can't bring my wayward child back. They're they're just too far gone. They've made too many mistakes. God, you can't raise someone from the dead. Yes, he can. And we don't pray like this because I think that we don't actually believe that God has the power to do it. Or maybe you, you do believe that God has the power. You're like, no, no, I know that God is all-powerful. I know he's got the power. But maybe you think that he won't. This is fear. God, you could do it, absolutely. But you won't. God, you could do it, but, 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 but what if you don't? What if he doesn't do it? And then the questions come. Will my faith be able to survive that? How long can I face the rejection when he doesn't do it? And so fear keeps us from praying these prayers all together. And I'm not saying, please listen, I'm not saying that if you do these things, if you pray like this, that your situation is going to change just like in the text here today. Trust me, okay, I've tried this with, with Zion. Okay, I've laid on him even, right? I've di- I did it and I prayed. And he's like, dad, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just hugging you, buddy. Don't worry about it, it's not weird. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's going to, to change your circumstance. But what I am saying is that when tragedy presents itself in our life, there is an opportunity for the Lord to show up in power. And it may not change the circumstance you're in. It may. But it may not change the circumstance you're in. But I can tell you for sure, it will change you if you pray like this. It will change you. Here's the last thing. See faith continue to grow. See faith continue to grow. Look at verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. We see someone's faith growing here, don't we? It's the widow's faith. Faith in the voice of the Lord. Faith in the word of God. She, she uh, was sarcastic with Elijah in the beginning. Oh, man of God. Now she's genuine. I now see that you truly are a man of God and that the voice, the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She now has faith in the truth of God's voice and God's word. And really, if you look at Elijah's journey, if you kind of 30,000 foot view, jump up and look at Elijah, his goal. His goal is to do exactly this. It is, it is to, to, to bring faith in God's word. He tries it with King Ahab. He does it here with the widow. He tries it to all of Israel. He wants to bring faith in God's word to show others to trust the words of God, to trust the voice of God. And that was accomplished here in this moment. And the widow's faith grew. But I don't think it was just the widow's faith. I I think that Elijah's faith grows here as well. I think that his faith is growing. I think that in these scriptures that we're walking through, God is preparing him, growing his faith to prepare him for the battle that is to come between Yahweh and Baal and the prophets. We see that God confirms him right in this moment. He cries out for something impossible. And God shows up in power and does it. 
God is saying to Elijah in this moment, I'm with you. I hear you. Also, I can do anything. But he's also confirmed by the, by the widow. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. She's encouraging Elijah. This is real. The word of the Lord in your mouth is true. You are a man of God. Encouragement. This is building Elijah's faith. I look at this section of scripture like Elijah's training arc, right? It's a preparing for, for the battle that is to come, right? Like um, think about Rocky when he's about to go fight Ivan Drago. You know, if he dies, he dies. That guy, right? And he's out in the wilderness. He's in the, in the mountains, in the snow, and he's like running through the snow, and he's like chopping wood a lot. And then he's in that log cabin and he's like bench pressing and punching something, probably a piece of meat. I can't remember, whatever it is, right? It's like, Adrian, no, like he's, he's training. He's preparing for the, for the big battle. And God in this moment is preparing Elijah for something that is to come. A huge battle between Yahweh and Baal and his prophets and kings and queens. Huge battle. It's preparing him. And maybe you, in the moment that you're in, the circumstance that you're in right now, maybe you're in a training arc too. Maybe God is preparing you for something. Maybe you're going through something right now and it's hard. It's difficult. But he's preparing you for something. He's preparing Elijah for a battle. Maybe you're walking through a valley right now. Maybe you've walked through a valley recently, but he is preparing you, maybe, to walk alongside someone else who's going to walk through that same valley. Maybe he is preparing you for ministry. Maybe he is preparing you for the work in the kingdom of God. Maybe he is preparing you to have a conversation with a coworker or a friend or a family member. We're all being prepared for something. It's not one of those things. Here's one thing that we can all be sure that we're being prepared for, and that is eternity. We are all being prepared for eternity with God. All of us, every single one of us. We are tested by fire so that we may be shown to be pure gold. We are being prepared for eternity. God is preparing us. We are being trained so that we will be prepared when the time comes for whatever he has for us. I'm running uh, the, the Chicago Marathon in October. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't started training yet. <laughs> starting Monday, okay? Starting Monday. I'm for sure starting tomorrow. That's tomorrow, right? Monday is tomorrow. I'm starting tomorrow, okay? I'm starting tomorrow. Tomorrow, please. Accountability, everyone. Tomorrow. I have to start tomorrow. Please. <laughs> because here's the reality. Is if I ever tried to try and, and, and run 26.2 miles right now, um, I would die. <laughs> I'm so out of shape. I also have asthma, okay? Um, and so my legs would fall apart. I, my knees would explode. My, my hips, I don't know what would happen. Uh, my lungs would, I, you know, it would just be a disaster. My, my mindset, I would, I would crumble immediately. I'd be like, ow, that hurts. I'm done, right? Immediately. But on Monday, <laughs> on Monday, I'm going to start training. And thank you, yes. That's the encouragement I needed right there. Woo! 
I'm going to start. On Monday, I'm going to start. And, and here's, here's the thing is it's going to stink, okay? Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. I'm going to hate every second of it probably. I actually don't really like running. Why are you running a marathon? I don't know. Thought it would be a good idea. I hate it, and it's going to hurt, and I'm going to not want to do it, and I'm going to be sore for way too many days, and, and, and I'm going to want to quit, and it's going to be difficult. But here's what's going to happen is I'm going to, through those moments, I'm going to be training and being prepared. By God's grace, hopefully by October, if I start Monday, I will be, done, I will be prepared to run in October 26.2 miles. And my legs will be ready. They will be prepared. My lungs will be prepared. My mind will be prepared to run that distance. And I wonder what would happen if, if we looked at the, the situations and the circumstances in our life, those hardships and those trials, if we looked at them not with dismay or despair, but instead we looked at them like they were training. What if we shifted our perspective and viewed those hard, difficult moments, not, not, as, not as despair, but as preparation, as God preparing us for something. What might that do in our lives? How might that change the way that we see the situations that we walk through? That in this moment of, of trial and difficulty, I'm being prepared for something that is ahead. And here's the thing is that we're not gonna know what we're being prepared for, okay? We have the full story of Elijah, but Elijah in these moments, he had no idea what was coming. He didn't know that there was gonna be this huge battle. He didn't know that the 450 prophets of Baal were gonna, like, he didn't know that. But God was preparing him, even in these moments. And I believe that God is preparing every one of us as we walk through difficulties for something. So let's view it like that. Let's view it like training. Let's view it like preparation. I, I wanna leave us with, with three truths when we, when we feel like the plan has fallen apart. The first truth is that uh, God's plans never fall apart, okay? God's plans never fall fall apart. If you remember, Pastor Jeff even talking about this. There's no plan B. There's no plan C, D, E, F, right? There is plan A. God's plans never fail. His plan never falls apart. He says he actually works all things for the good of those who love him and act according to his will. His plans never fail. And in fact, when we go through these and when we feel like the plan has fallen apart, here's the second thing, is that God is displaying his works through you. He's displaying his works through you. John 9, 3, actually, um, Jesus says this. Uh, the, they, there's a, a man who was born blind. And they were like, who sinned, Rabbi, this man or, or his parents? And he says, it was not this man uh, that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. When we go through difficulty and trial, when we feel like everything is falling apart, it is so that the works of God may be displayed in us. And the third thing is that it is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow. When it feels like the plan is falling apart, we have the opportunity to grow in our faith. 
We have the opportunity, opportunity to grow in our prayer. We have the opportunity to grow in trust of God, who is all-powerful, who is with us, who hears us, who is able to do abundantly more than we can even ask or think or imagine. It's an opportunity to grow, to be prepared, to train for what God has for us next. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for um, your truth. Thank you for your promises, Lord. I pray that you would help us in those moments when we do feel like the plan is just falling apart, when we feel that. We know that it's not, Lord. Help us to trust in that. Help us as we search for explanations, Lord. Would you lead us back to you? To seek you in those moments? To call out to you? And Lord, would you fill us with boldness? Would you fill us with faith, just as you filled your prophet Elijah with faith? to pray impossible things, unprecedented things, things that have never happened before. Would we be a people who prays like that? God, we need your help in that. We need the boldness. We need the courage. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people of faith who do that. And help us to grow, Lord. Help us to grab every single thing that we can out of, out of the time of preparation. All of the truth so that we will be ready for the moment that you have prepared for us. We love you, Lord. We trust you in all things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.